What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Well, Moses had two sons, and you probably figure that tonight he's going to preach on the other son. No, because... What we're going to do tonight is to kind of get ourselves sort of heart ready for the, for the, for the Passover, for the time coming up, for, for the Seder, and, and uh, just to see a little bit about what God says about that in particular. So let's pray. Father, we do ask you tonight that you would, Lord, bring us near to your heart, near to the heart of God. Lord, that place we've been singing about. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming from the heart of God in order to bring us near to the heart of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you turn in your Bibles to Exodus 23, verse 14, Exodus 23, 14, we're going to look here at uh, a, a remarkable passage here in which God gave specific instructions to Israel, Exodus 23, 14, where we read, Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. And thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded thee in the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in it thou camest out from Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is at the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field. Three times in the year... All thy males shall appear before me. Now, the modus in that passage there, he's talking about three times in the year there's going to be a feast. Three times in the year there's going to be a gathering, a gathering together. And if you kind of just sort of like put your mind back into imagine this passage here, first of all, this was given to Israel when they were in the desert. So this is preparations for when they're going to be in the land. They are to all together now. They're all together in one group, but he's talking about what it's going to be like when they come into the promised land. And so they, they didn't know that they were going to have a 40-year trip uh, to make it there. But anyway, here at the outset, this is where God, this is where God and Israel are just kind of getting to know each other. 
because God has just miraculously delivered Israel out of Egypt. And so Israel is eager to hear from God, and God has ultimately just annihilated the most powerful nation on earth, Egypt. He just destroyed them. And, and, and not only that, but they, Moses was talking to Israel, and he's saying, this is what God says that he did for you, and he said these things in, in Exodus 4.22. In 4.22, this all started because God said to Pharaoh, and this is what he told him in Exodus 4.22, thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn, and I say unto you, unto thee, let my son go, that he may serve me. If thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. So this was, this was, this was news for Israel. I mean, they heard Moses had said this, and Moses said to Pharaoh, Israel is, is, is God's son, Israel is the firstborn. And, and from that very start, it was laid out very clear that he, God wanted Egypt, let him go, let my son go. And, 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 he's, and, and God told Pharaoh immediately, if you don't, this is what's going to happen to you. I'm going to kill your son, your firstborn. And this was before there were any plagues. And then started the plagues. And, there was, and, and so the first plague, the second plague, the third plague, they're all like warnings, warnings. They're all like, uh, God is saying, take me seriously. Don't call my bluff. I'm warning you. If you don't do this, then, the, then, then and finally, uh, God's going to kill Pharaoh's firstborn. All because of that. So the nine plagues, you can look at the nine plagues and say, what are the nine plagues? The nine plagues are God's warnings to Pharaoh to don't disobey me any longer. Let them go. And so with each of those plagues, Pharaoh's heart got harder and harder. Pharaoh hardens his heart. God hardens his heart. Pharaoh hardens his heart. God hardens his heart. Until finally... God was left with no other alternative than to kill his first son. That's what happened. And so you can imagine when Israel's sort of watching all this and they're saying, wow, God's calling me his son? God's calling us his firstborn? Really? I mean, I, and, and, and then he, he, he wants to deliver us. And, and, and so the question that's going through Israel's mind is, what kind of a relationship does God want to have with me, God, what, what, with us? What kind of relationship? And so God's making it very clear, a father-son relationship. That's what. And so then after, after they, 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 he's destroyed Egypt, then he says to them in Exodus 19.4, he says to Israel in Exodus 19.4, you have seen what I, have, what I did unto the Egyptians. And then he goes on, he says, how I bear you on eagle's wings to bring you and brought you unto myself. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, there's Israel, and, and they've, they've just gone through this, this, really, it's a whirlwind, this whirlwind of experience. I mean, there they are. They're sitting on the brink of annihilation, brink of extermination by Egypt, and, 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 and all of a sudden, Moses appears on the scene. Then there's nine plagues, completely destroy the whole country. Then the 10th plague that kills Pharaoh and Pharaoh's son, and then they find themselves, well, first of all, they find themselves, before that happens, on the edge of the Red Sea, and they're thinking, this is going to be our cemetery. This is going to be where we die. 
And then God opens up the Red Sea. They walk through on dry land. And then Pharaoh comes. Then God goes and takes off the, the, the chariot wheels off of Pharaoh's chariot and off of the other chariots. So they're sitting there trying to repair their, 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 their chariot wheels. And all of a sudden, the water comes crashing down. And Israel, meanwhile, is on the other side of the Red Sea. And they're standing there. And they're watching the dead bodies of the Egyptians wash up on the shore. Oh, pretty dramatic. And so there, you can imagine that Israel is thinking, what was that? I just need a little time to process that. I, I got to think about that. And so God says, I'll tell you what that was. From Exodus 19.4, he says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. I bear you on eagle's wings and brought you, he didn't say brought you to the promised land, brought you, brought you here. He says, I brought you unto myself. So that whole experience out there in the wilderness, where it was really a desert, in the desert out there was, the, was just the closing in of Israel so that Israel could be together with God in this father-son relationship, and they can learn what, how it's going to be, how, how it's going to be. And so you can imagine that, that, that that's all happening there. And so Israel, is, Israel and God in the desert, they're, they're getting to know each other. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not bad, but they're knowing each other. And so what happened here is that, is that uh, is, is now God sees Israel as his son, okay, and he's delivered and brought him to himself. And so now he proceeds to tell Israel what he wants, what he wants, many things. But here in this Exodus 23 passage we just read, God is telling Israel, there are three times in the year I want all the males to come together to me, to come together to me. I mean, all the males. I want the young men. I want the old men. I want the men who live close to the gathering place. I'll tell you about it, God says, in the place I'm going to choose. He doesn't tell them where. I want the people who live far, the people who live close. Everybody's going to come to me. And so the first question is, well, what are these times? These must be pretty important times. So what are the times? So the first time that God is describing here is the time of Passover. It's coming up, you know, we're going to celebrate, what was it, April 14th, April 14th, we're going to celebrate, that's a commercial, you should come, it's going to be wonderful, D.C. Akins is going to make the great food like they always do, and we're going to have a wonderful time, but not just with food, we're going to have a wonderful time remembering again, because this is the thing, God says, I want you to remember. Now, when he talks about the Passover in this Exodus 23 passage, he doesn't call it the Passover. He calls it the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That is the Passover. Actually, that's the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the Passover. And you get that from Mark 14.12. Mark 14.12, it says, the first day of unleavened bread when they killed the Passover. You get that from Luke 22.1, Luke 22.1, where it says the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. So that's one and the same. Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover the same. Actually, the Passover is just the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, God said that during this time, for seven days during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were to have no leavened bread. They were not to eat any leavened bread. Leaven is, is a symbol of sin. That's what leaven is, a symbol of sin. I could never understand why Jewish people wanted to name, have the name leaven. I don't understand that. But anyways, they don't ask me, so what can I do? But, but leaven is a symbol of sin. 
And so, and for these seven days, uh, now probably you know some people named Levin, so now I've ruined it for you. I'm sorry, but anyway, forget what I just said. All right, so now, in, during this time, no leaven was to be seen in their house. So in, in Exodus in Exodus 12, 19, it's very clear, Exodus 12, 19, God says, seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. He goes on in Exodus 13, 7. So the first one there in, in 12, 19, he said, there's no leaven to be found. And then in, in Exodus 13, 7, no leaven is to be eaten for seven days. No leaven at all. So it's very important for God that all the leaven is removed from the house and, and there was to be no leaven found in the house. There was to be no leaven eaten. There was no leaven to be seen. So really during this time before this is the process of de-leavening the house. If you want to call it that. I mean, I asked my cousin, I, I called my cousin in Cincinnati and I said, oh, you know, I said, well, do you want to come out and visit me? And she says, no, it's, it's, it's four weeks before Passover, not before Passover. <laughs> you know, because, because her mother, my aunt, it was very typical. Her, she carries it on. Big preparation for Passover, not just the work, but the changing of the mind frame, getting the mind frame. Passover is coming. All the work that's got to be done for Passover. Very big job in which the, to remove all the leaven in which the house and in the observant houses is just turned upside down. And it, there's a deep spring, spring cleaning that goes on. And, and everything, everything leavened is removed from the Wheaties to the croissants to the Twinkies. <laughs> Everything is, is, that's what happens. And the Hebrew word is chametz for, for leaven. So it's a de-chametz time for the, for the houses. And this was so important because, why? Because the lamb of Passover was, which Passover was all centered on the lamb. Now that's not the way it is today. And the Seder, you, you'll, you'll see, it's in, but in, in the original, everything centered on the lamb. If there was no lamb, there was no Passover. And the key point about the lamb is that the lamb was without blemish. And so God told Moses, God told Moses, you instruct every family that they are to use a particular basis, a very important basis for selecting the lamb. He says in Exodus 12, 3, Exodus 12, 3, speaking unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, in the 10th day of the months, now we're on the 10th day, they shall take to them, notice all this, every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, then let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Now, so it's on the 10th day of the month that every family is to go out and they're to cull out this lamb from the herd. Now, part of the emphasis of what God was making there is we, he was making a very strong emphasis about this every part, every man, every family had to have a lamb. Every family had to have their own lamb. 
There was no communal lamb. There was no community of families. Well, of course, if one was small, they could gather together. But, but every family, every man had to have an identification with a particular lamb. So if you came to them, you came to, to the family, and, and you, you, you knock on the door and say, excuse me, does your family have a Passover lamb? Then every person in that family, from the young to the old, would say, oh, yes, and they could point to their Passover lamb, and they say, that's our Passover lamb right there. We're proud of our Passover lamb. And when Moses then told each family to kill it on the 14th day, that meant that, that they were killing what, the, what was the center of attention for their family during this time. And you could go to, to every person there and you say, and, and, and you say oh, what is the lamb going to do for you? What's that lamb going to do for your family? And they'd say, that lamb is going to save our family from death. We're not going to have a dead body in our house on that night because of that lamb. And if you, and if you ask the firstborn, what's the lamb going to do for you? He says, well, it's very personal for me. He says, that lamb's going to save me from dying. That lamb's going to save my life. So everyone in the family watched their, their, their family lamb very carefully. And they wanted to make, and first of all, and God says, make sure it's without blemish. It's perfect and that nothing happens to it until the Passover night. There's a lot of personalization that's going on with this family lamb. There's a lot of identification that's going on with the family and the lamb. And all that speaks to the truth of how each person must come individually to make the Lord Jesus Christ their own personal sacrifice for their sins, their own personal lamb, their own personal Savior. Just like the Lord Jesus said when he was talking about in John 3, 16, and he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, he's talking about himself, that whosoever, it's that word, it's all tied up in that word, that whosoever believeth in him, believeth into him, should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever, whosoever individual, which, whosoever person and unless a person comes to that point in their life where they're alone and they're face-to-face -face with the Lord Jesus Christ and they're confessing that they are dirty, rotten sinners, not good sinners that tells white lies, but dirty, rotten sinners, then that person has not met the individual requirement for being saved for their sins. And they fall into the most terrible category where the most horrible four words that they've ever heard and anybody can ever hear, will be said to them at the judgment from Matthew 7.23, Matthew 7.23, when the Lord Jesus at the judgment, when they're wanting to be, gain into entrance into heaven, and he says, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. iniquity. Those are the four most horrible words any person can ever hear. I never knew you. So each family had to have their own family lamb. Each person had to have his own personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So to the point where the Lord Jesus Christ would say, I know you, you put your trust in me, we have a relationship together. And the other person would say, and, and I know you. And, and so, so the selection of the lamb was according to the standard that it had, not just any lamb, but the perfect lamb. Now, you know, as, as you know, I, uh, uh, my family and I, we lived with goats for 10 years. You know, I don't know if you want to put that on the resume or not, but that's the way it was. And we lived with the goats for 10 years. So we had 300 goats for 10 years. 
And we got pretty good at identifying sick goats. We could tell you which goat was had a deformity. We could tell you which goat had the bulging knees, which goat had the limp, which goat had the sickness, which goat had the discharge from its nose and the matter around its eyes and which one ran perfectly. And so you know. And so also it was with the families as well. They knew an unhealthy condition in an animal. And so basically, this was the best animal that the family had. And this is the basis that each family had for selecting the lamb. And the lamb was to be this yearling in the prime of life. And so they look, and so just picture this now. Family, the father is looking over all their lambs. He's going to find that perfect lamb. And when he finds it, and he finds that perfect lamb, the family, he, he says to the family, may I introduce you? This is our family lamb. This is our family lamb. Right here, right there, that's our family lamb. He's going to save our family from death. And that moment when each family made their choice for which lamb was going to be their family lamb, it all pointed, it all pointed forward to the time when John the Baptist, the great introducer of the Lord Jesus Christ to the world, the great presenter of the Lord Jesus Christ to the world, on that one day, that one momentous day, he comes in John 1.29, John 1.29, and he says, the next day, it says, the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Just as the Father made the selection of the family, which, which lamb was going to be the family, Passover lamb, and then he comes to the family and he says, behold the family lamb, which will take away the curse of death from this home. Just as the Father did that, just as the Father did that, John the Baptist comes as a father to like mankind, and he says, he, and, and he says, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. He's like, the Father is so excited in the house, and he says, look everyone, you don't have to worry, don't worry, because I found the Passover Lamb for our family, I've got him right here, he's right here. And in the same way, John is saying, look everyone, Look, everyone, you don't have to worry because in this person of the Lord Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb for everyone, and he's perfect. And this is what with the characterization of the lamb, unblemished, and that spoke to the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was sinless. The Lord Jesus was sinless. Hard for us to imagine that because we're not. But, it, but this descriptions of him in the scripture when it says in Isaiah 53, 9, Isaiah 53, 9, it says that he did no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. You know, he, he never told a lie. There was never a deceit in his mouth. And, and, and if I ask everybody in this, in this room today, has anybody never told a lie? And if anybody raises their hand, I'd say, well, that's a lie right there. So you can put that up to the list. Anyway, none of us qualify. For this. It says, it says in Isaiah 53.11, Isaiah 53.11, by his knowledge, God said, by his knowledge, referring to the Lord Jesus, shall my righteous servant justify many. No, none of us have this term assigned to us, righteous servant. Nobody, none of us can be called that, righteous servant. You know, Jewish people say that Isaiah 53 refers to the, the, the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel. That description alone shoots this down righteous servant. Israel's called a righteous servant? I don't think so. Because the book of Isaiah starts in Isaiah 1, where God says about Israel, a sinful nation, 
a people laden with iniquities. That's not righteous. So anyway, so then he goes on. The Lord Jesus is also, he gets to this point in life where he's looking at his enemies. He's looking at his enemies and he's saying, okay, bring it on, lay it on me, convict me, accuse me, indict me of sin. He said, this is what he said in John 8, 46. John 8, 46, he says, which of you convinceth or convicteth? Which of you convinceth me of sin? Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.